0: This is the Frey podcast, brought to you
1: by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation about self-compassion with Dr. Kristen Neff. Kristen is currently an Associate Professor of Educational Psychology at the University of Texas. She is a researcher and an author of no less than four books. She's also created online training programs and Kristen is the co-founder of the Nonprofit Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. If you enjoy today's episode, which I'm really hoping that you will, there's a lot of great and practical information from Dr. Kristen in our conversation. So if you do enjoy today's podcast, please take a screenshot of what you're up to, where you're listening, and share it with me. Pop it up on your Instagram, tag me at Kylie Camps, and then I can share it on my stories as well. It means the world to me when you take the time to share these episodes with your loved ones. It is just the biggest endorsement ever. So I really, really appreciate anyone who takes the time to do that. If you're not part of our free fray that's a mouthful, our free Frey Facebook group, make sure you jump online. I will have the link in the show notes for you. Come on over. It's a really safe online community. You can have a chat about the episode, share your thoughts, share some feedback, and just connect with other like-minded women. So let's get into my conversation with the incredible Dr. Kristen Neff. Kristen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me.
2: Oh, happy to be here.
1: Well, I've been super looking forward to it. And I guess the most obvious place to start is, first of all, defining what is self-compassion?
2: Well, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just being compassionate with yourself when you're having a hard time, whether that's because you're feeling inadequate or made some mistake or just going through a real challenge in your life. So it's treating yourself like you would treat a good friend you cared about who was struggling. That's kind of that's the easy definition. I also have a more formal definition. If you want, do you want to know that one too? <laughs> yeah, give us both. Okay. So I mean that. So so I also research self-compassion. So there's a more formal definition, which and I've got a measure of it. But basically, it's it's more than just kindness. There are actually two other elements to, that need to be there to make this a really stable mindset set. What is mindfulness, right? So in other words, we need to have mindfulness. We need to be willing to turn toward our pain and to see it and to kind of validate it in order for us to give ourselves compassion. If we're ignoring it and like stiff upper lipping it, <laughs> we can't give ourselves compassion. Uh, like if a friend called you and you said, I'm too busy to talk you know, you couldn't give her compassion Um, But also, if we're too lost in the drama of what's happening, we can't give ourselves compassion either. We need a little perspective to say, hey, this is really hard for me right now. What do I need? Um, And then also really important, and this is what helps make it a a healthy mindset, is um, framing our experience in light of the shared human experience, right? So we don't want to fall into self-pity. Self-pity is like, poor me, woe is me. It's a very isolated stance, Self-compassion is connected. It's like, hey, I've been there. You know, not, not, the, not only have I been there, everyone's been there, right? It's not just me. I'm not all alone in this. This is part of the human experience. And so when we do that, we actually take the emphasis off the separate self, and that's partly what gives it its power.
1: Mm. And you said that the definition of self-compassion is simple. And, of course, when you explain it like that, it does sound simple. It sounds like a simple human right, right. to extend kindness to ourselves. Yes. But why do we struggle so much with it?
2: Uh, I think there are two main reasons. One's cultural and one's physiological. <laughs> so culturally, you know, we aren't raised to think that self-compassion is a good thing. We're taught that compassion for others is good. But we, we, we think, um, oh, it's selfish right? Or it's going to make me weak or lazy or irresponsible, even though the research shows all of those are totally untrue. But nonetheless, we're, we're kind of suspicious of self-compassion culturally. Uh, but there's also a physiological reason in that, um, you know, when your friend gets fired from her job, you aren't personally threatened. So you can be caring and supportive. But when you get fired from your job, you go into freak out mode, you know, it's like, oh my God, so we go into fight, flight or freeze mode. And we fight the problem. And of course, the problem is ourselves because we think somehow we're to blame for it. So we, we, we beat ourselves up thinking somehow to whip us into shape so we won't be threatened anymore. Or we flee into shame like we imagine the perceived judgments of others. And we, we flee, we hang our head in shame um, so to kind of, again, avoid the center of others. Or else we freeze and get stuck. And we ruminate in our head over and over and over again as if maybe the danger will go away. And so this is a natural physiological response to threat. Um, because we feel so threatened when we make a mistake or are having difficulty, it's a little hard. It's, it's harder to be uh, caring and loving toward ourselves and others, partly because we're less threatened when others suffer. Now, your, your partner, you may notice, you aren't as compassionate to your partner either. <laughs> it's probably because when they're threatened, you're threatened as well. So threat, feeling the threat has a lot to do with it.
1: Yeah. And I guess it's our perspective as well, because when we're thinking of ourselves, as you said, everything that's going on in our physiology, our nervous system, that changes our perspective. First, when we look at a friend, we're not in that heightened state of needing to protect ourselves. So you can kind of go, oh, you poor thing and extend that connection and empathy. Yeah. And that's
2: also an involved system, right? So the, the, the ability to care for others, the attachment system, that's, you know, That's also part of the human brain, but typically it evolved to apply to others, like our children or fellow group members, and that helped us survive. Um, It's not really, you might say, designed by nature to be used for (laughs) self. So we're kind of doing a little Mm -hmm. hack. We tap into the system that's normally used for others with ourselves. Um, But, you know, once you do that, you you know, it feels a little weird at first, but your brain gets used to it. It doesn't really know the difference if if the kindness is coming Mm -hmm. from you or someone else.
1: So we're not really designed innately, perhaps, to sort of access that for ourselves. And then society also kind of exactly. puts it on a pedestal when we're extending it to other people, yes. but you don't want to be self-indulgent. Yeah, right. Or exactly. in Australia, we have a term, tall poppy syndrome, where you kind yes. of you know, focus on yourself and things like that. Yes. And so then we're kind of coming up against this physiology that's saying, no, no, it's a bit tricky for you to do this so it adds a layer of resistance and then culturally in society we're told again it's not the best thing to do that's right so how do we push through those barriers Well, so
2: self-compassion is kind of a radical act and really you know what happens is once you start practicing it or or if you're a very logical person once you start reading the research on it there's like over four thousand studies at this point um you know, you see the incredible benefits it has. It, it doesn't make you selfish. In fact, it makes us feel more connected to others as we recognize that you know we're all in this together. Um, it doesn't make you self-indulgent because when you want to be healthy and well, you aren't going to do things that are harmful to yourself like self-indulgence, right? And it also motivates change, but in a more effective way than self-criticism. Instead of Instead of changing because you think you're inadequate as you are, You change just because you care and you want to reach your best, full potential. And that means if you fail, well, it's okay to fail. All humans fail. So instead of being, again, freaked out by the failure and not being able to grow from it, you're actually able to say, okay, well, it happens. What can I learn from this? So it's actually much more effective in the long run for motivating change as well. And so once you start practicing it, you can start to see the benefits, right? And it's like, wow. I never even realized that when I first practiced self compassion back in guess 1996, I was like, "Man, this stuff works!" <laughs> you know, I was going through a hard time. I had just gotten a divorce. It never even dawned on me to be consciously understanding and supportive to myself until I met a teacher who talked about self compassion, and uh, it, I was just, "Wow, it, this really works! It helps a lot."
1: Yeah, and as you said, there's so much research now yes. to support what you were experiencing back then and I think that's so helpful because as you said, when we have like a logical brain, we kind of want that proof of concept and self-compassion. I think sometimes people can confuse with like an abstract kind of woo-woo type energy but really what I'm hearing from you and I've listened to a lot of your work is that it actually does provide a tangible difference in your life when you know how to access compassion for yourself. Yeah, I
2: mean, just think of if you have a child, right, the difference between being warm and loving and supportive towards your child versus just being, like, cold and controlling, right? We know what's better for our children. Well, it's the exact same thing with ourselves. When we're cold and controlling with ourselves, you know, yeah, we might still function, but there's a lot of negative consequences, whereas if we're warm and supportive – the outcomes are much much better.
1: Mm. And I have found kind of thinking of myself as having, you know, well actually literally speaking to my inner child mm. has been a real in mm-hmm. for me with self-compassion yeah. because I've definitely struggled, I mean who hasn't struggled with self-compassion, yeah. but kind of changing my perspective and treating myself as a child and I have um, eight-year-old twin boys. Mm. And so there's a lot of compassion in my house for my kids, Mm. but trying to extend that to my inner child has been a way that I've been to actually able, able to really access that kindness and empathy. Is that something that you encourage people to do? Yeah. So
2: it's, it's, you know, for some people, it kind of depends for some people like with a trauma history, it can be a little overwhelming to do that. Um, If you're in therapy, it can be really helpful. Um, Or if you don't have a really intense trauma history where that it's scary to think of your inner child, then it's very, very useful. And in fact, sometimes we say that self-compassion is a way of reparenting yourself, or you kind of give yourself or your inner child the love and attention and care that you may or may not have gotten as a child yourself, right? And also, we're naturally kind and compassionate to children. And so that having an image of yourself as a child can make it feel more natural, a little more comfortable. Um, So it can be, it can be very useful, but there's a, there's a lot of different ways to practice self-compassion. It's not like one size fits all and people need to, you know, experiment to figure out what way works best for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the term Mm reparenting, and that is something that people have brought up a couple of times to me and have said, I want to know more about this term. What does reparenting look like?
2: Well, so you kind of imagine what ideal parenting is, right? And of course, none of us are perfect parents, but you know, the ideal parent is someone who, asks, who tries to understand what their child's needs are, tries to meet those needs you know, consistently with warmth, with care, um, a little kick in the butt sometimes if that's what's needed, right? So it's not just indulgence, right? It's also really saying, hey, you need to, you know, you need to look at this. Sometimes there's drawing boundaries. That's also good parenting. Um, And so just really using the skills that are required for a good parent and turning them inward, asking yourself, what do I need? Right? Trying, again, give yourself warmth, support, drawing boundaries with your own behavior if you need to, out of care, not out of um, criticism uh and, you know th- that's the thing self compassion isn't rocket science um, most of us have learned if not if we don't have kids at the very least with our friends you know the reason we have good friends hopefully is because you've learned how to be supportive and to listen and to care and to be helpful um so we already have the template inside of us we just don't use that with ourselves and so that that's really all it means um but what it can do is for people with, let's say, attachment trauma or maybe insecure attachment from a child, what the research shows is you can actually earn secure attachment as an adult. So what that means is you can start to feel worthy and feel like you, your needs are consistently being met for by yourself, even if your parents weren't able to give that to you. Mm.
1: And if someone is listening today and they... Are sort of feeling really connected to the term reparenting, uh, would you encourage someone to explore that with a therapist or is it as simple as starting to just ask yourself that question what do you need and trying to meet that need?
2: well therapy is great I mean I, I did therapy for years um, i finally I finally decided oh, I'm good enough <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know I'm still a mess but kind of functional enough all right but you know product like, I did twenty years of therapy so Therapy is very, very helpful. I think whether or not you have any sort of clinical disorder, just having someone to talk to and to work through these issues with can be very, very helpful. Um, For for people with a trauma history, exploring self-compassion, it can be really helpful because there's a term we have called backdraft which is sometimes if we had to close down our hearts just to survive in life, you know, you start to open your heart. And it's, it's like a house on fire, you know, back to us, the firefighting term. If you fling open the doors of the house, the fresh air rushes in, but ignites the fires and the flames rush out. It can be quite scary. And that can happen with self-compassion practice. You know, we've closed down our heart. The fresh air of the love starts to come in and it, it kind of illuminates the old pain and the pain comes rushing out. And it can be a little um, destabilizing for some people. Uh, And so that's why, especially if the people who are, you know, for most of us, love and care makes us feel safe. But if the people who are supposed to love and care for you didn't make you feel safe, some of our wires get crossed. And you know, the good news is research shows that self-compassion is very, very useful for people with a trauma history. And it can actually help heal some of these childhood wounds but you just need to go a little more slowly you know maybe not do too much at one time make sure that you don't you know get too overwhelmed with the backdraft and a therapist can be really helpful for that
1: that's such a helpful analogy the backdraft because i think people often wonder why they're being triggered yes. and what's going on for yeah. them because they're like i'm taking a step forward why do i feel worse yeah. So that's a really, really helpful way to think of it. Thank yeah, you it's not that. that
2: you're doing it wrong, it's that you're doing it right. And a slightly less scary metaphor is like your hands going numb. You know, if you're in the cold, your hands go numb, and then when they start to warm up, they hurt. It's a good thing because it means the blood's starting to flow again, you know, so for again, if we had to go, you're going in the yeah, right if direction. We had to go numb to, to survive. Then it's, they're going to hurt a little bit as, as we start to warm up, and it's temporary and it will pass. But you have to take care of yourself as you go through that transition.
3: Mm.
1: And taking care of yourself with self-compassion, are there different types, different styles of self-compassion and what do we need to be aware of? Because I think sometimes people would perhaps think, oh, self-compassion is that Indulgent, oh, you poor thing! Don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, put it off till tomorrow type of energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's not necessarily right. well. So
2: compassion is concerned with the alleviation of suffering. So, unfortunately, putting things off usually causes us suffering. So it's not really being kind to ourselves. Um, but how do we practice it? Yeah, there are a lot of different tools. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the, the Buddhist images of the goddesses of compassion, usually they have many, many arms, each with a different instrument, because there's so many ways to do it so many ways to answer that question what do I need so a physical touch is a really useful way to give yourself compassion to kind of bypass the mind altogether and just maybe put your hands on your heart or cradling your face and actually what you're doing is you're signaling to your body that you hear that you care and that can help you again change your nervous system reaction and um help you feel safer and cared for that can be very useful um Language is very good for, you know, a lot of people like maybe, and and the language can go to a lot of different ways. Either you can speak to yourself kindly, like, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm here for you. Right. Or you can imagine that you're speaking to a good friend that you care about and kind of find out, well, what would I say to a good friend? And then do a U-turn and say that to yourself um, or you can imagine someone else who's very kind and compassionate speaking to you, whether that's maybe a grandparent you had or maybe a spiritual figure, you know, if that, if that works for you. So really, um, there's a lot of ways in. We, we, um, with my colleague, Chris Germer, we developed something called the Mindful Self-Compassion Programs. And I think there's like 37 different edi- uh, exercises in there. And meditations. Meditation is a tried and true way for changing your brain it's not the only way to practice self-compassion but can be very useful so mm. so helpful and i guess that physical touch
1: as you said that's an anecdote to that physiology yes. like that physiological response that we spoke about at the yes. start of our conversation mm-hmm. and does it matter what like what technique you use to access self-compassion I wonder, like, does it matter if you're pretending to speak to a friend? Do you ideally want to get to a point where you are speaking to yourself? Or is that kind of irrelevant as long as you're getting there?
2: I mean, it's an interesting question. The only thing we have data on is we compared um, formal practice like meditation versus informal practice, like putting your hand on your heart and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, you're having a hard time, right? That didn't matter if we did formal sit-down meditation or kind of small stuff in the midst of your daily life. In terms of what language you use, we don't have any data on that. Um, Just based on what I've observed, it's just whatever works for you. The problem with imagining speaking to a friend...
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
2: and then then turning it around as you have an extra step so it may have a little higher cognitive load um but you know if it works it works but this i wouldn't say there's necessarily any sort of progression uh it's, it's really just as long as you can access yeah. it. And what we want to do is we really want to access these three components. So the mindfulness is just the awareness of the suffering. That's really the first step. We have to be aware that we're having a hard time. If we just ignore it or shove it under the rug or, you know, get, become lost in it, we can't give ourselves compassion. And so we, and we also want to remember that we're connected to others in this experience. It's not just us. We aren't isolated. You know, the, the, the misperception that it's just us, and it is a misperception right? Everyone suffers. Yeah, maybe some people more than others, but that's kind of the human experience. We're all imperfect by definition. So the misperception that we're all alone and that maybe everyone else is having a normal, perfect life and it's just me who screwed up. Uh, The big problem with that is not only are we suffering, we feel all alone. So we're like adding Mm -hmm. insult to injury, so to speak. So remembering that we aren't alone, that this is normal, that this is something to be learned from. I don't Just because I did something bad doesn't mean that I am bad. This is just part of the human experience. Um, and then uh, really just the kindness, what, the warmth, a lot of it's just even in our tone, our tone of voice with ourselves, that feeling of care, it could be physical. Um, that's really what we're after is opening our hearts to ourselves. And however we do that, isn't so important
1: and you spoke about connection there to others and recognizing that we are part of you know just the collective everyone is here having a human experience but when we don't access that and we do feel isolated and we withdraw or perhaps we are experiencing depression Mm -hmm. is there a link between depression
2: and self compassion. Oh yeah, very strong. So that's one of the main things self compassion does is reduce depression, reduces depression, anxiety, um, stress. Uh, and one of the main ways things ways it does it is because it lessens self judgment and feelings of isolation and kind of you know over rumination on your emotions. So when you give yourself compassion, you stop all these behaviors that tend to exacerbate and maintain things like depression.
3: Mm.
1: which again it kind of seems a little bit counterintuitive if you have that attachment that self-attachment that
2: self-compassion
1: is selfish yeah
2: well it's definitely not i mean so for instance we did one study we asked people um to say well you know how satisfied are you with your partner what how did your partner treat you in your relationship are they kind are they controlling are they intimate and then we we found out the self-compassion levels of their partner's and people with self-compassionate partners were much happier within the relationship. They described their partners as being more giving, more caring, less controlling. Right? Because the more resources you have available, the more you have to give to others. Whereas if you beat yeah. yourself up, you're going to expect your partner to meet all your needs, and you know, watch out if they don't. At when you want it, exactly how you want it, you know. Whereas if, you, if your heart's overflowing, so to speak, the more compassion comes in, the more available you have to give out to others. Well, it's taking
1: ownership, isn't it? It's taking ownership for meeting your own needs so then there's less pressure on the people in your life to do that for you.
0: Exactly.
1: And speaking of people in your life, is there a difference? Have you found a difference between genders or gendered roles when it comes to self-compassion? Yes,
2: yes. Um, So even though compassion is part of the female gender role, and that's why if you go to any one of my workshops, usually about 85% of the people there are women because it's like not a guy thing. Even though you expect women to have more self-compassion, they actually have slightly lower levels. And that's because of the good old patriarchy, right? <laughs> Males are raised to believe that their needs are important and they feel entitled to meet their own needs. Women are more compassionate, to, actually quite a bit more compassionate to others than men are because their sense of self-worth is predicated on being, giving, self-sacrificing, and they feel a little less entitled to meet their own needs. It, it, but it's a small difference and it seems to be explained by gender role socialization, right? So like women who, who are androgynous, you have equal amounts of like kind of masculine and traditionally masculine and feminine traits. They don't have less self-compassion, um, but another way it plays out. So my, 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 latest book is actually written just for women um, because there, there's one aspect of self-compassion that's challenging for women and that's fierce self-compassion. So, so, it's fierce and tender self-compassion. They're really the two faces of caring for ourselves. Tenderness is more of the, what allows us to be with ourselves as we are. It's accepting, it's nurturing, it's more of a gentle energy. Um, there's also fierce self-compassion, which is you know, the ability to stand up for ourselves, to draw boundaries, to, to motivate change, you know, to meet our own needs. And because So gender role socialization actually works against men in terms of tender, tenderness are called names that they're too tender and so that harms men. But women are really socialized against being fierce. You know they aren't supposed to speak up. They're supposed to be compliant. They're supposed Don't to be say yes they aren't supposed to get angry. And uh, that can be challenging for women. So that that's why I wrote my book specifically for women to say, "Hey, standing up for yourself, this is a form of care. This is a form of kindness." You know, it's it's not against kindness is actually as long as it's harnessed properly can actually be harnessed for kindness, for compassion. And so, um yeah, the gen- general socialization, I'm sorry, you know, it stuffs us all into a little box and many of us don't fit. And so one of one of the things self-compassion gives us is radical authenticity. It's like, may, you may not like me for what what I feel or what I'm doing. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me because I like myself. I'm not dependent on you liking me. And that, that ability to... Kind of have an intrinsic sense of self-worth gives us a lot of freedom to be our authentic true selves.
1: How does someone access that authentic true self if perhaps they've been feeling like society has told them to be quiet and be good and be compliant, as so many of us women have been conditioned to be? Yeah. How do we how do we begin to peel that back and access that part of ourselves that can be our own advocate and can access anger when it's appropriate to be angry and
2: just access that voice for ourselves. Yeah. So, um, so it's like yin and yang, they go together, you know, tenderness and fierceness. So again, when we start to unconditionally accept ourselves, we feel more permission to stand up for ourselves and make these changes. Right. So again, the unconditional self-acceptance makes us less dependent on other people's approval, which also allows us to act in a way that's more authentic. So it, you know, it's really so about, about it's really about the balance between the two. In any moment, we've got an open, gentle heart, but our back strong, and we're willing to protect ourselves. Just, but it's really again, it's not that um, foreign, especially to women. If you think of parenthood again, I mean, you want to see a force of nature. You try threatening a, a mother's children, right? Mama bear arises and just very naturally comes up, or mother, you know what, work two jobs to provide for her kids, or really, um. sorry or really um we'd work very hard to motivate change in their child because she cares so we know those two aspects of fierce and the tender as it comes to our children you know we draw boundaries for our children we don't just let them do whatever they want not if we really love them that's indulgent parenting that's not caring so we, we again we recognize it with how we relate to our kids so it's once again it's a matter of turning that inward
1: Yeah, I think that's so interesting because I think sometimes there is an inclination to want to kind of divide and go, oh, you're either a really soft nurturing person or you're kind of that hard ass who walks into meetings and knows what she Mm -hmm. wants, but you're so right. There is duality in all of us. And parenting is that prime example of you can be so nurturing with one arm and literally I've got identical Mm -hmm. twins. So sometimes I'm nurturing one while I'm saying to the other, Hey, that's a boundary. And it's so true. We have that, but sometimes we, we just don't apply it to ourselves Mm -hmm. because it's so much neater if we fit into a container that's like, Oh, you're this person or you're that person. Yeah. yeah. But but we're neither one or the other. We're yeah, both. Yeah,
2: we're, we're both. We need to work to develop it. So, I mean, also men, we men are really harmed by the fact that they can't access self-compassion in many ways. They don't come to workshops. They don't read about it. Um, because, you know, just think of the harm that's done by being told that if you're sensitive or you open to pain, that somehow you're, you know, you're called names or you're aren't a real man or whatever, you know, everyone needs both. Yeah.
1: Mm. And for parents who are listening, I imagine that role modeling, mm-hmm. just role modeling, self compassion is probably the best way to instill it. In yes, really ideas. to
2: embody it. It's a question mark. No, the- no, it is. So um, <laughs> certainly modeling, especially out loud. So next time you drop a glass, think, oh, this is a really good opportunity to model out loud self compassion. Yes. So, so see, I'm such an idiot, hoping that people forgive you. Model, you know, oh man, I love that glass. Oh, well, it happens, you know, okay, no big deal, I'll, I'll clean it up, right? Or, or whatever it is, but modeling warmth and acceptance. But again, also doesn't mean indulgence, remember? Modeling, taking responsibility for things. All of these things get communicated to children. Um, But there's also another level that this works is just through our mere presence because the way the human brain works with our... um mirror neurons and kind of empathic resonance of the human brain, and especially between parents and children, are really tuned into each other. And children can feel what we're feeling just as we can feel what they're feeling. So my son's autistic, right? Uh, autistic kids, they do have trouble with perspective taking, but their, their empathy skills are actually usually quite sensitive. They're often very sensitive souls. And so what I would see is my own internal mind state would really impact him. So if I was frustrated or beating myself up or, you know, just really kind of um, in a very negative mind state, it would affect him. Like He would mirror. Yeah, so he would yeah. mirror. So if he had a tantrum, for instance, it would go up. But if I could give myself compassion so that my mind state was full of the kind of this loving, connected presence, I was calm, I was um, warm internally, he would pick up on that. So I could actually help regulate his emotions through my own internal mind state. Um, and, and, you know, we know all parents feel this. I just taught him to drive. He's driving now. And all parents can relate to this one. You know, when you're nervous and you're really tense, they get more nervous and tense and then they may, you know, be more dangerous drivers. But when you're calm and relaxed, they feel more calm and relaxed. So, you know, this is how the human brain works. So by embodying self-compassion, you're actually giving your children the gift of your loving presence.
1: Yes, I'm just sitting here smiling because this is something I've been working through myself because one of my little boys is just such a pure empath and however I'm feeling, he reflects it so clearly and I've known that about him for years And it kind of made me, in the past couple of years, going through a divorce with their dad and whatnot, I sort of took on this ownership and responsibility of how he was feeling. But taking on that responsibility clouded my ability to respond to him. So then when he was upset, I was becoming more triggered and more like, oh, like my shoulders getting up under my ears and like, oh, I can't fix this. But the moment I was like, okay, yes, he's reflecting what I'm feeling, but this is his experience. I was then able to respond in a better way to him, which is it's just that circle, isn't it? Because I calmed down and wasn't feeling guilty. Yeah. I could then meet his needs. And then because I was calmer, he calmed right. down. And it's like this circle where there's so much enmeshment and it's it like, is. oh, where does it
2: end and where does it begin? But it's just, that's why we, we really need to primarily do it for ourselves, right? But just mm-hmm. knowing that it, a really good side effect of giving ourselves compassion just for ourselves is it does help other people. If you see what happens, the brain is a tricky thing. If you started getting suddenly angry at yourself because I'm not being self-compassionate and then I'm harming my, you start to judge yourself, then no, you're no longer being self-compassionate, right? So you have to do it for the right reasons. You have to do it because you care about yourself and you don't want to suffer. And then, but you can trust that a helpful side effect of that will be a benefit to others.
1: Yeah. I know that so many of our listeners are going to want to know more about you and hear more from you. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, Fierce Self-Compassion? Yeah,
2: so and I actually have four books, believe it or not. Um, so I've got my, my first book, which is Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, which is a little bit more on the tender self-acceptance. I mean, I talk about a lot of different things, but it's uh, if, you're, if you're new to self-compassion practice, that may be the good place to start. And then um, I've got the Mindful Self Compassion Workbook, which I wrote with Chris Germer, which is really uh, allows you to go through the Mindful Self Compassion program we created it in workbook format. A lot of practical exercises and tools. Um, and then most recently, Fierce Self Compassion: How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. So it's uh, it's kind of feminism meets self help, but it really talks about how, especially for women. It is a political act to practice self-compassion because we're going against patriarchy, which tells us it's all it's all about self-sacrifice and don't get too angry and just don't rock the boat and go along with the program. And realizing that it's that doesn't help anyone, least of all ourselves, and that out of compassion stems, again, this radical authenticity to say, I'm going to be my full, complete, authentic self, which is both fierce mama bear as well as gentle, tender mother. You know, and both both are necessary. And by the way, you know, if we're, if we're just about gentle acceptance, look at the world around us. I mean, there's a lot of problems in the world. We need to harness this fierce energy to, to make social change, uh, fight social injustice, global warming, so many things. So I think women especially are going to have to be able to have full access to their power, which which is a lot of fierceness to be able to make help make the changes we need to make
1: absolutely and Kristen if there's one act that someone listening right now can do for themselves to just dip their toes into the world of Mm self-compassion what
2: would you suggest they do so the next time you're upset about something or having a hard time just notice how you're speaking to yourself what tone of voice you're using what you say you can even write it down if you want and say would you say this to a really good friend you cared about the answer probably is no (laughs) And then, what would I say to a really good friend I cared about, and see if you can replace um, your inner dialogue with what you would say to a friend, and you'll you'll notice an immediate difference in your ability to cope with whatever you're, you're dealing with.
1: I love that, and it's a really accessible action that anyone can yes. take. So, thank you for yeah. that. Now where can our listeners connect with you?
2: It's very easy if you just do a search on self-compassion you'll find me in my website. You can spell any which way I'll I'll, I'll Google algorithm. It's amazing. You know it's 20 years there I got it first. So the first three pages of stuff that yes, comes up you, will probably mean You me. pretty well own the concept of self-compassion. Well, I, you know, I don't own it. I didn't come up with it, but I I put it in this the, the web space yes. pretty a long time ago so uh, just Google self-compassion, you'll find me. Um, so I've got a lot of free practices on my website. I have a lot of scientific research from all sorts of scholars on my website. I've got a, a TED Talk. And then if you're interested in getting training, you can, there's a link for the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, which is like the training arm of what I do. This is a nonprofit that does a lot of online self-compassion training if you actually want to take an online course. That's it's available. And we have a lot of um we have a, a lot of uh, teachers down under as well. Brilliant. I'll
1: make sure we have all of those details in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time and your energy today. I'm really grateful.
2: You're welcome. Nice to talk to you. This is what I
3: want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you gonna make a move? Are you gonna